Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. Earlier this week, Democrats pulled off a remarkable eight-point win in a special election for a House seat in suburban Long Island, a race that was all about immigration. Republicans had boasted that the issue was a big winner for them, running millions of dollars in ads, hammering winner Tom Swasey as a stooge for President Biden's fictional open borders policy. Yet Democrats prevailed in this district, one that the disgraced Republican George Santos carried in 2022 by a sizable margin. And now Democrats say they have a playbook on immigration to take into the fall elections. So what really happened here? Today we're talking to Mike Bosian, the chief Democratic pollster on this race, to get to the bottom of that question. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me, Greg. First, can you tell us what you guys think the makeup of the race's electorate looked like in demographic terms? Yeah, from a partisan standpoint, it was we were at this stage, we're guessing it was roughly about 43 percent Democratic and about 35 percent Republican with the remainder unaffiliated. So about an eight point advantage in a district that all registered voters are about 10 to 11 points uh, Democratic Um, in terms of the kind of racial composition. Uh, the largest uh, minority group here is Asian voters, who are probably 12% of the district, very Democratic. Uh, another 10% are Hispanic. Uh, this is also a very small African-American share. The district's also probably about 17, 18% Jewish voters, which is one of the higher ones in the country. And how educated an electorate do you think it was? Very educated. Um, this you is do. a district that's predominantly 
uh, Long Island, Nassau County, Long Island, with a portion of Northeast Queens. It's one of the more educated districts in the country. I suspect the electorate was somewhere around 65% college educated. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask is there's a school of thought holding that special elections tend to be lower turnout affairs made up of educated, highly motivated partisans, unlike a general election, which has a lot more low propensity voters, persuadable ones, young people, non-white voters, uneducated voters, and just a bigger electorate overall. Yet this special seemed to have relatively high turnout, maybe because Santos's craziness drew so much attention. So where did this races electorate figure into that school of thought I just mentioned? Was it typically uh, educated and highly, highly partisan or, or not quite, or was it a little more like a midterm electorate? What was it? In terms of the number of votes, it was not as high as a midterm electorate. It's probably about 180,000 votes, and your you know midterm is going to get you around 240,000 or so. Um, uh, so this is an already educated electorate in any election. Uh, and as I said, it was about a plus eight Democratic Party registration advantage in 20 uh, in 2016 and 2020. It was plus 10. In 2018, it was plus 11. So compared to like really good Democratic years, it wasn't that good. But in 2022, it was about a plus four to five point Democratic edge, which was very, very low for Democrats. So I I don't know that the special election theory totally holds water Um, here. If you think about Long Island and New York, they have odd year elections. In fact, there was an election just in November, and that was an exceedingly Republican electorate. I think 160,000 or so voters voted. So fewer than this election, and it was very Republican. So what do you take from that? Why do you say that you don't think the special election theory holds? Well, I don't think the theory that low turnout means a better electorate for Democrat, the data in this district doesn't really support that theory. I think what happened in this race, it was a high profile race. So turnout was relatively high and Democrats were fairly motivated in the wake of Santos. But I think in many ways, most importantly, we had a really good candidate. Like Tom Swazi is a great candidate. He has represented parts of this area for a long time. And that was a significant advantage. The Republicans intentionally chose somebody who was untested and largely unknown. I think they hoped that she would turn out some voters. I think that they hoped uh, that her lack of a record would make her more immune to attacks. Um, but I think actually Democrats were more excited for Tom Suozzi than Republicans were for Mozzie Phillips. So how do you compare this electorate to uh, the general election? So Biden won in 2020 by eight, right? How, how do the two electorates compare in terms of uh, favorability to Democrats? Um, this electorate's actually not as good as the 2020 electorate was. 2020 was plus 10 Democratic. This is plus eight. Now, there are other differences with a special and lower turnout. This is going to be an electorate that is probably a little more educated, which is good for Democrats, um, but also probably a little older. So it could cut both ways, honestly. What we don't know is this question that we always have, which is, is trumping on the ballot going to produce some new set of, of Republican voters that we're not seeing here? The president claims so. He, sa- he says that Mozzie Pillip wasn't MAGA enough. 
Um, I'm not sure if that's the whole story here. Um, I think we'll see the last the last two times Trump, the two times Trump was on the ballot, we had very good electorates for Democrats in this district, and we were successful. Yeah, I mean, I guess one could kind of look at, at Maisie Pillip and and say, okay, maybe she's not exactly demographically uh, suited to bring out the MAGA electorate or something like that. I'm not sure what Trump thought he was saying, but um, but uh, at the most fundamental level, how did you put together the coalition that won? What was the makeup? of that coalition? And was it different from the Biden coalition in 20? Um, So I think there's a few things that we take. We believe, and we don't know for sure at this stage, but I think likely Swazi was able to get about 90% of Democrats and take about 15% of Republicans. Throughout the campaign on our polling, we were getting a segment of Republicans. We were getting more Republicans than Mozzie was getting Democrats. So And I think independents probably ran about even. We may have actually lost them by a few points, uh, but because the electorate was eight plus eight Democratic and Swazi was attracting more Republicans than Pillip was attracting Democrats, we were able to have a coalition that gave us that eight point victory. Um, In terms of uh, Biden, look, some of the groups that were core to Biden's success that he's not doing as well with right now. Uh, Asian voters, we did very well. We were typically getting 60, 65% of Asian voters in our polls. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of what we needed and wanted. Uh, this district has a smaller sample um, of African American voters uh, here, so harder to look at that. And it's not a very young district. As you may know, this is a pretty expensive place to live. So there's not a lot of 25 year old voters uh, in this district. But the data we had on voters under 40, Swazi was doing very well throughout. So we saw the signs of that Biden coalition in many ways. um, But Swazi certainly was winning over more Republicans than we see other Democrats do. It's just a strength of his. Yeah, probably worth noting, too, that the district includes a strip of Queens, which I believe probably has a fair amount of older voters, too, right? Yeah, the Queens portion is actually extremely diverse. There's a very large Asian population in Queens. Um, Chinese and and, uh, Korean American populations are are significant. The Queens portion is interesting. I mean, it has swung pretty wildly. You know, it's a very Democratic area. um, But Zimmerman against Santos, Zimmerman only won it by four points. And there are some Democrats who have actually lost that portion. Um, Swazi ended up winning it by... Uh, you know, almost 25 points. Let me ask you, there's there's kind of a debate out there or, or a school of thought, another school of thought that holds that in, in the Biden years, Biden is really kind of alienating young and non-white voters in a way that Democrats really can't afford. What did you pick up in, in this electorate on that score? How did Swazi do among those types of demographics? Did they vote? What happened? Um, He did very well. As I said, we don't have a large African-American population here, but there's a very large Asian population. Um, And it's many different ethnicities, uh, Chinese, Korean, Indian, Pakistani. There's quite a few. Swazi did very well in every poll. uh, We saw him getting, you know, somewhere around 65 percent of the Asian vote. Um, I'm not as sure about the Hispanic vote. I think that was probably leaned Swazi, but not quite as heavily. We didn't have as as big a samples there. Yeah. Uh, And young voters, I think their share of the electorate was relatively small, but I think Swazi did did very well there. Yeah. I do think that these areas where Biden is weaker than he was in 2020, these are areas that he needs to improve and he can improve. I mean, if you're looking at the the positives, there's there's definitely negatives for where Biden's at. If you're looking at the positives, rebuilding his coalition is with groups that are available to us, the case has to be made. I think as Democrats, 
Um, the sort of idea sometimes campaigns wait a little late in the campaign before they reach out to some of these, quote, base audiences. I think that's got to change this cycle. I think we've got to be reaching out early, often, um, and making the case to a lot of these a lot of these uh, younger voters and voters of color. Well, it sounds like you guys were able to get them. Can I ask, you said earlier that, that Swazi was able to make some inroads among Republicans at a level that Biden was not. So that that sounds like it means that there was a, there were a fair amount of persuadable voters in this election, which is another way it might not be quite uh, the same as a typical special. Was abortion part of that? I mean, millions of dollars in ads flowed on the topic. What was going on with the electorate on this? Was it was it supercharging the Democratic base? Still, was it pulling? Was it responsible for pulling in maybe? Uh, you know, centrist Republicans, mostly women, was what what was going on with those things? Yeah, it was significant. Our polling showed that the that New York's third congressional district is is seventy two percent pro choice. So it's an ex- one of the more pro choicest places you can find. It's very very much so. Um, the challenge in New York and in California has been that that while voters are very pro choice, they they're they're not really feeling like abortion is at risk in their states. And so part of what we did is elevated the risk of a national abortion ban. And so there was heavy advertising in this campaign on abortion, uh, both digital, um, in terms of television, direct mail. We did a significant amount of that without, and I'm sure you'll get to this issue next, we did it without losing the importance of issues like immigration and the migrant crisis that voters were clamoring for candidates to talk about. Yeah, that's very interesting, right? I mean, Democrats have typically uh, not wanted to talk about the issue. And and in fact, there's been a kind of school of pundit thought, which counsels them to assume that they cannot win arguments on the issue, which has always been baffling to me. But, you know, there you have it. And, and here, I mean, the, the usual rule of thumb is that Republicans want campaigns to be about things like crime and disorder, and Democrats obviously don't. They, they don't want races to be about immigration. And, and so here, the Republican candidate and the Republican Party ran ads showcasing violence, rioting, chaos, really lurid, off-the-rails, anti-immigrant stuff. And, and of course, Democrats were arguably particularly vulnerable on the issue with migrants arriving in New York in great numbers, straining social services and so forth. What was, did you sense that this was going to be a real problem early on? How do you guys view it and what do you do? Uh, From the very beginning. Uh, And first I should note, this is the issue of immigration has been important to Tom Suozzi through his his entire career. You know, a few years ago, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times with Republican Peter King on a compromise immigration reform plan. But it's also been an issue that has been important to him in finding solutions when he was county executive, when he was the mayor of Glen Cove. So we start with a candidate who actually knows a lot about the issues, has a set of proposals for how to handle what's happening at the border right now. Um, so we start with that base of a candidate who cares and has a real record. But we saw it very early. We saw it very early in our polling before the attack ads even started. We knew immigration was we had, we had ads ready to go about immigration, both positive ads with Swazi offering solutions and a response ad where he directly speaks to camera about the attacks that we assumed were coming. And so, look, if I could in every election to d- d- just define the terms of the debate, it would be great. Uh, that would be wonderful. Um, and we can run every campaign on abortion and health care and economic, uh, you know, populism, fairness. 
But we can't always determine the terms of the debate. And in this race, voters in New York 3 were telling us that migration and immigration was an important issue to them. And we knew it was coming. So this was something that was important from beginning to end. And Tom himself said, I need to address it. He showed up. Mozzie Pillip, one of her very rare press appearances, was showing up in Queens where migrants were housed to do kind of an event there. And he said, I'm showing up right next to her or right after her, and I'm going to tell the truth. So um, we were we were showing it. I think I think Republicans maybe gave us a little bit of a favor at the end here when they rejected the deal. That was a bipartisan deal. The Senate had spent months working on. Republicans were integrally part of creating that deal. And then they jumped ship when Donald Trump called and told told them we'd rather have a campaign issue than solve the problem. Yeah, look, I mean, you really put your finger on something very important there that I hope Democrats pay attention to. Democrats need to talk about this issue. They need a real position. They can't run away from Republican attacks. They've got to have solutions. They've got to talk about the issue honestly with voters and so forth. Um, so when you guys went hard at Pillip and Republicans for killing the border deal, what was the message there and how did that land among swing voters in particular? Well, the beauty of that was it fit into a message that Swazi was delivering. From, the, from his announcement speech, he said, Washington is broken you know, and I have been a problem solver. I am somebody who I'm a Democrat. I've always been a Democrat. I believe in democratic values, but I will work with anybody to solve the country's problems. And there's a wide range of them. One of them is immigration. And so when the Republicans rejected a deal that, I mean, it was, you know, they were saying we haven't had an opportunity like this in decades. And they, they went and rejected it for political reasons. We went right at it. We, we decided that we're doing uh, earn media on this. We're doing press on this. Everything we could to make that known, and so we did. And Tom handled it in the debate. And honestly, we never heard from the Republican what she wanted to do. She just said, "Trust me, I want to fix it." Um, you know, voters are looking for candidates that are willing to work together to find some common ground, and they lost that opportunity here with Republicans. Uh, adamant on on trying to play politics over solve the problem. I do want to talk to you about Swazi moving to Biden's right on this issue. He called on Biden to close the border and called for the deportation of migrants charged with assault in Times Square. I think he said something like eighty percent of migrants would would be removed under his uh, under his uh, preferred agenda, something along those lines. That's more than getting to Biden's right, right? I mean, it's not language I personally think Democrats should use. You may not agree, but let me just ask, couldn't Swazi have won without that language? I mean, it, 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 it sort of smacked a little of demagoguery there. I mean, wouldn't blasting Republicans for killing the border deal and calling for comprehensive immigration reform pretty proactively have been enough? Well, I think he was talking about the real problem that exists. You know, Republicans have been trying to pretend that there's a different problem than the real one. If you watch the ads they ran in this campaign, you know, they were showing video of gang members from at, for literally the same ads that were up 15 years ago, just kind of ridiculous things. The problem right now that we have at the border is that we have people, more people seeking asylum than we can handle. And truthfully, some of them would pass asylum. And as I think, as Tom said, many of them, frankly, wouldn't. And we don't have enough people to process them. So what, what's happening is while they're waiting for their hearing or their second hearing, they are free and uh, and 
some of them do not end up coming back for the hearing. And so he was saying, look, what we really need is a massive, like a really scaled up situation where we have judges, where we have people at the border to actually process and handle them. And if they, if everything's done the right way and they deserve asylum, then they come into the country. Everybody supports that. You know, people in the country support legal immigration. But if we are losing track of people simply because we do not have the capacity to handle processing at the border, that's what we need to address. So I think yeah. that's what he was trying to say. Well, OK, um, there is, I think, a sweet spot for Democrats in calling for a, a massively resourced system. I absolutely agree that that swing voters seem to favor orderly immigration, right? And in fact, it's 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 notable that Swazi also supported a path to citizenship for the undocumented, right? Republicans still seem stuck in this kind of Fox News mindset that the broader electorate shares their party's basic anti-immigrant animus, which has been supercharged by Trump. But most voters seem to want a combination of order and security on one side and pro-immigration policy on the other. I, I think... Um, Dave Weigel from Semaphore found that most voters kind of want a balance between that and um, they really don't want mass deportations or and they do support legalizing the undocumented. But a, a lot of these MAGA voters who I think Pillip was probably talking to to juice up and energize are still kind of awash in a Fox News universe where as you say, like it's really just image, just crazy imagery of, of really crazy anti-immigrant imagery, and that doesn't strike me as something the middle of the country wants. Is that what you guys found? Absolutely, and I will say, Tom insisted. If you go and watch his ad where he speaks the camera in response to the attacks, he very specifically says in that ad a path to citizenship for those who have been in the country are doing the right thing and just want a better life for their family. That was something he insisted on. It was important. And that is where the public is. The public sees a crisis. They see that the border is in crisis and we don't have the capacity. But they do want, they want immigration reform. They want comprehensive immigration reform. They have wanted it for years, way back to when the, that Senate deal died many years ago. Um, and they want it today. The thing they want most, honestly, is solutions. They want solutions. And they, they want dreamers to be able to be legal. They don't they don't support the right. ideas that the right wing are pushing on sending, yeah. you know, 12 million people, uh, people who are contributing to our economy and supporting uh, their families. They don't want to send them uh, to another country. So, yes, people are looking for solutions. And the solution has to be both a path to citizenship for uh, people who work hard and, and do the right thing and uh, dealing with the massive problems that we have at the border. And I think that was something we were trying to appeal to. We know Republicans historically have an advantage on, on immigration. But if we can cut into that, that advantage by showing we are actually the problem solvers, we are actually the ones that want to address this problem, and they don't, uh, we have an, an opportunity to really turn the tables. Right. It seems to me that, that that what Republicans just simply can't seem to grasp is that a whole lot of uh, voters in the middle of the country think immigration is good and want it to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so an interesting dynamic in recent elections is that Biden's low approval rating hasn't held back uh, other Democratic candidates like in 2022 and in, in a lot of these special elections. Democrats, Democratic candidates seem to be running well ahead of Biden. So so what was Biden's approval rating or favorability rating in the polling in this district? 
And how large a segment of voters who disapproved of Biden do you guys think he won? Uh, so his uh, his favorability was in the low 40s, um, in the about 42 percent favorable. And this uh, is a district he won by eight, just to remind. And people. this is a district he won by eight. So we certainly see uh, that in a lot of places that his favorability is quite a bit lower uh, than it was, and and we continue to see that. Um, we've also seen um, in 2022, we certainly saw lots of examples of Democrats outperforming him. I think the question then becomes what happens when he is on the ballot. Um, the early signs that I've seen, there are a lot of Democratic senators that who, who live in Republican states that Trump is likely to win, and those Democratic senators are doing well and much more popular. So I know we live in a world where split ticket voting, we think, has dropped, although in the 2020, in 2022, there's actually quite a bit of split ticket voting if you look at Senate and governor's races and so forth in quite a few states. I think there actually could be more of that. Uh, in this election, we could see more split ticket voting, but there's unanswered questions about do Biden's numbers start to rise? And if they don't start to rise, are Democrats uh, able to and successful um, at running ahead of him uh, in, in races where Biden is struggling? You know, I think we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I think that itself accounts for a whole lot of the Democratic panic, right? This sort of sense that well, Biden's approval will ultimately define where we land. And I don't I don't know if we know that that's true. And I don't even know to what degree Biden's approval will define where he lands. Well, it was it was quite a night and it was a big win for you guys. Congratulations. Mike Bosian, thanks so much for coming on with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Greg. Folks, make sure not to miss two new pieces up at TNR.com a deep dive by Simon Lazarus into the right's assault on the administrative state and how Dems should respond to it, and Timothy Noah's defense of California, the state that Republicans and conservatives love to hate. We'll see you all tomorrow. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network.